0: Hello and welcome. My name is Kushal Shah and I'm here with my friend and co-host Ayush Pradav. You are listening to Nails and Hammers, a podcast where we talk to different people about their journeys and understand how they take decisions and solve different problems. Our guest for today is Akarsh Khurana who runs a theatre production company called AK Various and has worked on films like Krish and Karwan. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to like, share and subscribe to Nails & Hammers on your favorite podcasting platform. Hi Akash, welcome to the Nails & Hammers podcast.
1: Hi, hi Kushal, hi Ayush. Thank you for having me here. Uh,
0: So I wanted to start from the very beginning. Can you share a bit with us about where did you grow up and where all did you study? Uh,
1: so I'm uh, uh, pretty much a Bombay boy. Uh, I was uh, born in Delhi because uh, my grandparents uh, were there. Uh, so that was it. But I've always lived in Bombay. Uh, I uh, went to school to Arya Vidya Mandir in uh, Bandra. And then I went to college in St. Xavier's uh, in, in, in Bombay itself. Uh, after that, I did a couple of post-graduation diplomas. I did one in uh, film and television from Xavier's itself. And I did a a post-graduation course in advertising and marketing uh, from this affiliated uh, institute uh, called Wiggin and Lee in uh, Mumbai itself. Uh, It was a UK institute that had kind of set up something here for a brief bit.
0: So I did an advertising and marketing course from there. And yeah. So were you competing with your dad in terms of education? Uh, Well, actually, very
1: interestingly, my father once told me that it is a son's duty to uh, educate himself more than his father. And uh, that was just after he had finished his PhD. So I told him that that's not going to happen. So (laughs) I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not going to uh, be able to manage that. But uh, he he was always very clear that even if you wanted to kind of, you know, get into some sort of a creative field, and if you want to eventually get into, you know, films and theater and all of that, it is absolutely mandatory to you know be a postgraduate first, uh, so that was a minimum requirement, uh, you know, as a as a fallback, if uh, everything else fails, at least you've done that much. Uh, right. So uh, he's he's very uh, uh, he's very into education, and uh, you know he also eventually did his PhD. Also teaches now, so he's he's quite an academic in that sense.
0: Yeah, and so uh, uh, how was the Corona household like growing up? Your dad's an actor. Your dad's uh, I mean, it has so many degrees. So how was it like Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, so the thing is, dad has always been, uh, you know, quite a multitasker. Uh, so the thing is, of course, while he was acting, he was also always doing other stuff. So it never felt like, you know, uh, like I was the son of an actor. Uh, you know, right. It, it right. just felt like I was the son of a very busy and very intelligent man. Uh, uh, and uh, my mother also uh, uh, was a teacher and uh, uh, was teaching for many years, for 30, 35 years. So, uh, it was it was great uh, uh because you know they were uh, both very driven and uh, uh they were both uh, still managed you know managing to kind of make time for me and eventually uh, my younger brother he's eight years younger than i am uh, after he was born and then i kind of went into college eventually uh i think what happened is that the equation with my father became far more friendly and one-on-one it uh, right. know, kind of uh, it, it graduated into a very like relationship between parents. My mother always was, of course, very approachable, and uh, uh, you know, and I think it was great to have really uh,
2: woke parents. That's great. That's great. But I mean, did it add an impact when per se? I and, mean, your dad was into theaters, screenwriting, and and movies was a regular part of your
1: discussion tables or oh, dinner or something? I, not, not when I was in school, definitely. I mean, that was uh, something that was not, uh, you know, work never came home in those days. Once I became involved in theatre and all myself, of course, uh, then there was a lot of, you know, conversations about that because, I mean, I was involved in my own pursuits. Uh, right. In fact, I do remember that as a school kid, uh, when I used to ever kind of drop up at like, you know, drop in at one of my father's shoots, uh, I used to find them frightfully boring, uh, I would be like, you know, they take like an hour to do like, you know, two lines and I would be like, what is this? Why are people wasting so much time? Here? You know, so okay. I, I remember being very disillusioned with film shoots and even today, I mean, honestly, like, I think that if it's not your film shoot, uh, uh, I don't know why anyone would visit, like, you know, like people, <laughs> you know, people show up at film shoots and I'm like, this is perhaps from the outside, the most boring thing in the world. Uh, and and from inside of course it's the most busy thing in the world because there's so much That's to kind right. of take care of but you know when you're from the outside it's such a slow process like for someone who's you know like a uh, like a layman uh, right. so yeah there was no uh, there was no uh, uh, that kind of imposition or too much I think what happened is that there was an awareness of the environment uh, right. which was a good thing like I grew up around theaters and uh, I was not uh uh, inhibited on a film set because uh, they, they, they were part of my growing up years. So I think that was great, uh, that there was an awareness of the environment uh, and therefore perhaps made me a little bit more comfortable. I think when uh, uh, I was older uh, and I had started like, you know, getting dabbling in theater myself, of course, there were conversations about theater. Dad was writing a lot of films at that time. And he would kind of, you know, use me as kind of like a sounding board where he would kind of discuss a few ideas. And I think that's where the interest in writing came from actually in the early days, because, you know, I was, I was seeing how uh, scripts were taking shape. Uh, So I think that that was a, so yeah, it kind of, I guess it all kind of, you know, uh, subliminally kind of gets into your system. Uh, But uh, having said that, when I got out of my post-graduation, I actually joined a corporate job. So I was, I was in a corporate job for three years. So uh,
0: And then kind of found my way to like a creative space. Uh, So, yeah. So what made you leave your job and start your theater company? Uh,
1: So it kind of happened simultaneously. I started my theater company back in 2000. I mean, we complete 20 years this year. Uh, So I I started my uh, theater company uh, just as I was out of college, I think. Yeah. Uh, I I graduated in 2000 uh, and I started my theater company in December that year. And, uh, uh, so that was always going on, but after my post-graduation, I, uh, I got into a corporate job. I mean, it was a, it was a, it, I was a, I was a marketing manager in a movie company. Uh, so the thing is, I, I kind of, it was still connected to movies that I loved, uh, you know, a field that I loved and, uh, uh, my motivation to actually get into that company was that I got free posters and preview screenings. So it was kind of, uh, my decision was motivated by passion, uh, but I think once you kind of become like, uh, you know, a part of the corporate machinery, uh, I think there was like a wake-up call, I think maybe two years into uh, my job, where I kind of realized that, the, that you know, the movies that I came in loving had kind of almost become commodities because I was on a phone talking about beta tape yahan hai. and like, you know, they, why is that delivery late? And suddenly you're like, okay, it's taken out the whole romance. I mean, the entire romance has gone away. Like suddenly it's not about your passion and it's just another job. And it was a very ideological standpoint. And uh, uh, when I went and told my boss, I mean, she was very impressed that I could make an ideological standpoint like that. But she also offered me more money. And, uh, uh, you know, and I was like, no, I don't want that. I want to leave for other reasons. And then I got offered even more money. And I'm thinking, man, (laughs) they had this money and they weren't paying it to me. But now it had become an ethical standpoint, right? Right, Because now if I take it, I'll lose respect. So... (laughs) uh, So, yeah, but so therefore, uh, and and I was doing well, I was, I was marketing manager of the Maharashtra and Gujarat region. And uh, uh, I was, I was, uh, uh, I was doing pretty well. So, uh, but the thing is, and I was actually doing theater by the side, my company was running. So I would be in, uh, I would, uh, I would be in office uh, from say nine to six, and then I would go to rehearsal and I would be rehearsing till one in the morning. And then I would kind of, you know, go back, sleep for a bit and then go back to work. So I think that rehearsal process that was happening was always keeping me uh, creatively satisfied and keeping me going on with the job as well. But then at one point in time, I kind of realized that, you know, this is maybe not what I want to do. And this is not where I see myself, uh, you
0: know, growing any further. Uh, So, I mean, having a a production company is a different ballgame altogether. So how did you crack the industry? And then did you have to do other things than just creating content? See, I have a production company only in the theater
1: department. I don't, yeah. uh, I don't have like a, a, a film production company. That's a completely different thing. Right? So a theater production company in that sense is a much smaller scale kind of organization. Uh, uh, of course, when you are starting off, when you are 20 years old, uh, it does feel like you know, a huge undertaking. Uh, and now we've kind of had it for 20 years. And it's been a very interesting experience because I think what's happened in the last two decades, like even the kind of you know, the, the land, cultural landscape has changed. Uh, And, you know, uh, theater has changed so immensely. Uh, You know, theater used to be such an elite and intellectual kind of thing. And now it's kind of opened up and like it's become much bigger and you have larger productions and people investing money in the theater. And we've seen it through this entire phase. When we started for this first seven years, we were just losing money. I was basically, uh, I was basically earning money, writing films, and I was spending all that money in my theater. So it was kind of like a money pick. Uh, in that sense, where and uh, at one point of time, I think it was, I think it was about six or seven years in, and we were just making losses as the company. I mean, uh, and I had no okay. personal savings because all my savings were going into the theatre company. And, uh, uh, and 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 dad came to me, and dad told me that you know, I mean, it's really great that you're following your passion, but you have to set a deadline. And if in that deadline your company doesn't start kind of giving you returns, uh, however hard it is, you'll have to shut it down because otherwise it'll always land up being a liability uh, in your life. And I was like, shit, I need to send a deadline because, and it was six years in. So I said, okay, let me try and do this for 10 years. And if in 10 years I haven't been able to kind of, you know, stand on our own feet, uh, then I'll take a hard call. But very fortunately by the eighth year, uh, we actually got a couple of opportunities and a couple of big productions that did very well for us. And we started rolling in the profits. And from that, uh, year, uh, I mean, minimal profits, but at least uh, there were. We were in the green, and uh, fortunately, Touchwood. I think in the long run, if you look at the final analysis from that year, which is I think 2008, from that time, the company has supported itself. Uh, I have never had to put in, put in, uh, you know, my personal funds uh, into the company. The company, at the end of the day, the balance sheet is such that it might not be making any profits, but it's breaking even and it's supporting itself. So that was very critical for me. The other thing that I feel, whether it's a production company, which is for theater or for film or anything, I think, that, I think that one mantra that people kind of tend to overlook and it's worked very well for me and I've seen other production companies that I've worked with that happen to be successful is because they value the people. I mean, the people are really the company. Uh, you know, so if you, if you put people first, if you kind of you know, invest in that, they are your most valuable resource, and they are the ones that will give you the most uh, returns. So that's always been something that's worked very well for me. So,
2: right. so basically, uh, I mean, post your post your corporate gig, you quit your job. You were working on your theater company, and you were also doing screenwriting uh, gigs as well, right?
1: So, so basically, what happened is when I when I quit my corporate job, which I think was probably 2002-2003 uh, uh, was uh, around the time that I, that I quit uh, and I was looking for, uh, you know, something more creative to do besides just running the theater company, um, something that I could earn from and uh, there didn't seem to be any options because, uh, you know, I had just come out of a job and so uh, my father used to write uh, uh, with a gentleman, uh, Robin Bhatt, very senior writer in the industry and... He had been my dad's partner for a while in the, in the writing business. Uh, he basically uh, offered me an opportunity to be his assistant. Uh, okay. At that point of time, basically, it didn't mean any creative involvement, but it meant sitting in the corner of rooms that there were discussions in and making notes and uh, it uh, uh, you know, it it, it felt like a very small job, like it felt very like, you know, you were sitting over there, but it was a great learning phase for me because I got uh, to be in like, you know, rooms of five different projects that were being made, so I mean uh, I was in rooms with Ramesh Sipi and, you know, Rajkumar and Vikram Bhatt and, uh, you know, Shriram Raghavan and all these people uh, while discussions were happening and it was just observation and learning how different people work and I spent about I would say I spent about, about eight to ten months being a writing assistant, which is basically taking notes. And I think okay. that at the end of the year, what happened was that I realized that this is not working out for me financially, because I mean there was really nothing coming my way, and uh, I wasn't earning enough, and I might have had to consider going back to you know the a job. And I actually opened conversation about going back to a job. I, I actually spoke to my former employers and said that you know uh, if there was an opening I'd like to come back and they were very welcoming and they said yes sure you can start you know from next month and uh, I was kind in, kind of signing my creative death warrant uh, but I was uh, uh, going back to the company that I had left and I was actually saved by a very severe bout of hepatitis. Uh, I was hospitalized. And I was in hospital for 11 days. uh, And when I got out, the doctor said that you cannot do any work uh, for at least three months. You have to be, you know, homebound and you have to be on a very strict diet. And, uh, you know, traveling for work is certainly not something that you can undertake at this point of time. And that's what actually kind of uh, uh, turned the tide in a sense, because I couldn't go back to the job. I apologized to them. And as I was recovering, uh, uh, Mr. Bhatt, Robin, Robin touch with me and said that you know uh, Rakesh Roshan is writing a film which is a sequel to Coimilia and he wants a young writer on board because it's a fairly new subject matter it's the first superhero film and is that something you'd be interested in because it's not hard work in terms of physical you know you'd have to come for a few meetings and then come for a few jam sessions and then come to sittings so technically you're and I, was, I jumped at it. I was like, yeah, man. I mean, Karan Arjun was one of my favorite films. I was like, yeah, for sure. And uh, that's how that journey began. So in 2003, I got on board the writing team of Krish. And mm-hmm. that was my first uh, official writing gig. I had done a little bit of writing in my uh, uh, ill-time with my dad as well for a film that they eventually release called Sarhat Par uh, with Sanjay in it. Uh, but krish was the big like full involvement kind of first project uh, that i that i got and uh, i was in, involved in the writing process for a year and the moment it got written mr oshan actually asked me if i would assist and uh, wow. i then became assistant director on the film so what happened is that krish basically was my film school because i was there from the first word on the page till the final print delivery so I saw every single process. It took three years of my life, but it, right. was, it, it, was,
0: it was honestly film school. So right. And then Krish was one of the first VFX films in the industry. Yes. So, so how was it like to work as a VFX director?
1: Uh, so, I mean, uh, the thing is I, that I, I was never a VFX director, but uh, what happened is that uh, I, I started off as a, as a fairly junior assistant uh, because it was my first time on a film set. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I had also written the script. So I kind of had the advantage of being something like a script supervisor. Uh, So I was interacting with the actors. And and then what happened is I kind of started like, you know, taking on more and more responsibilities. So I was kind of moving up a little bit. And Mm -hmm. uh, as the film was nearing completion, uh, one of the chief ADs who was actually, uh, whose forte, her forte was VFX. She actually got her own film to direct. Uh, and, and Mr. Roshan said that she should not let go of that opportunity. She should go and do that. So I kind of got bumped up quite by accident uh, uh, because uh, I was I was young and at that time perhaps a little with it. Uh, so I kind of got shipped off to Chennai, which is where our VFX was happening. And I lived in Chennai for four months uh, uh, supervising all the VFX. We had, of course, international VFX supervisors uh, yeah. who were coming from time to time from the U.S., but I was there on the ground, basically overseeing all the VFX shots that were there in the film, and they were a hell of a lot. Uh, right. So right. it was it was great. It was great. It was very eye opening uh, yeah. at that point of time. So it was state of the art at that point of time. Now, of course, things have changed completely, and I, you know, I'm always
2: playing catch up. Yeah, I mean, as far as I can remember, that was uh, I mean an introduction uh, for the whole Bollywood industry to the whole VFX game, right? Absolutely, absolutely and uh, I mean the
1: weird thing is that we had the capability we always had the capability because you know the studio I was in was also doing outsourced work for stuff like Chronicles of Nanya oh wow yeah the same people that were working on Krish were actually like working on battle sequences of Chronicles of Nanya which had been outsourced to them so it's not like we didn't have the know-how and also Uh I mean like a lot of uh, a lot of South Indian films had actually been doing a lot of VFX from earlier uh, you know uh, and, and 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 they were very evolved by then. It wasn't just the, you know, these days we talk about a lot of VFX, which is basically almost invisible to the eye. And, you know, like there's so much VFX in films that look like regular dramas, but, you know, there's so much that's been created. That kind of stuff was happening like back in 2005 in in Chennai, when I was sitting over there. I mean, I remember uh, there was a Kamala-san film that they were working on at that point of time. And they were actually creating uh, locations of New York, uh, uh, on their computers and it was being done like you know uh, like like it is done so casually right now it was being done over there so it was it was really eye opening for me it was like wow I mean like the world has like you know really moved on and I was so right. glad that I got, got to be
2: part of a film that was kind of breaking new ground so yeah you know, but was there like I an added pressure uh, because it was something that was done in India for the first time
1: not on me yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there was a lot of pressure on Mr. Roshan, uh, uh, but uh, not on me. I mean, for me, I was like, a, I was a kid in a candy store. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, it was, it was fantastic for me, but I'm sure there was a lot of pressure on him. And um, I'm really glad that it paid off the way that it did. So, yeah.
0: So th- there's actually a, a Kamala and New York story where Kamala was like going around the Brooklyn Bridge and then NYPD arrested the entourage because they're like, you know, taking multiple rounds of the Brooklyn Bridge and shooting oh, really? it. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah so i want to like talk about your writing a bit so yes. so what's your writing process like uh, do you lock yourself in a room uh, to write and how do you come up with like fictional ideas
1: uh see i no i'm not somebody who locks uh, himself in a room and works like that the thing is uh i think one uh uh one thing that i've definitely inherited from my father is you know this uh, uh multitasking situation uh which uh, uh, is almost a disease. But uh, <laughs> the thing is that uh, I, I've constantly got multiple things going on, uh, you know, and it's, it's for various reasons. I mean, I've always run a theater company. Uh, there's always like, you know, uh, other stuff that I'm involved in, in terms of like, while I might be prepping for something, I'm writing something else or I'm pitching something else. Or I also run a writer's room. So we are constantly kind of working on new subjects to pitch. Uh, so, there's, my, my hands are generally quite full. So, I don't, uh, I've never had the luxury of being somebody, a writer who can kind of lock himself into a room. And, uh, you know, and the thing is, actually, I'm one of those whose only motivation and inspiration is a deadline. Uh, that uh, when it's near, then I'm working really hard and really fast. But otherwise, I'm a big procrastinator in terms of, you know, uh, the actual writing of it. But what I do land up doing is um, I actually spend a lot of time writing my first draft. So, I am not one of the writers who kind of, you know, uh, enjoys doing multiple drafts. So, for me, it is very critical that my first draft is competent. So, actually, like the thing is, there's a lot of uh, uh, background Kind of thinking and planning and note making that is happening before I write the very first word on, on the page. Uh, because, you know, I like that my first, very first draft is something that I am A, happy with. And of course, while there will be tweaking, it's something that is, uh, you know, presentable.
2: And ha- how do ideas
0: for fiction come?
1: I don't know if there's really an answer for that, you know, Uh,
0: I don't, I don't know
1: if there's something that can be answered when say, so for me personally, I look upon uh, in in my writing career, I look upon uh, as a turning point in my writing career, I look upon the series called Tripling, uh, which I, I wrote for TVF. And right. uh, that uh, was something that Sumit Vyas, who also acted in it, he uh, he brought to me. He, he asked me to come on board and co-write it with him. Um, that was a uh, uh, besides the fact that we knew that it was going to be siblings going on a road trip, right? Uh, right. Uh, we really didn't know anything else. So uh, right. that was that was actually creating from the ground up. Uh, right. Right. And and uh, the great thing was that because. Uh, you know, TVF was uh, a, a digital platform. Uh, you know, the uh, there was so much freedom to kind of write exactly what we wanted,
2: you know, right. it was, it, right.
1: there It was there was no fear in us attempting to, you know, use our own voice. And uh, for me, uh, that way, I think that tripling was a liberating experience because I mean, I could take a lot more credit even for you know every idea that was in it rather than you know, just uh, come making someone else's vision come to life. Uh, right. So, uh, so that's, so, although, I mean, uh, having said that, a lot of what is in tripling is actually from life. So right. uh, I think that uh, a lot of your ideas actually come from what uh, you have experienced. Uh, a lot of your characters come from what you have experienced. And I think that, you know, when you're consuming content as much as you are, and there's so much consumption happening, uh, you know, your, your, uh, your likes and dislikes and your, uh, you know, things that you connect with are all kind of, you know, at a very uh, unseen level forming. And that's the that's the place where your influences are kind of formed and you don't even know it, you know, at that point of time. You don't even know that this is, these experiences are shaping you. Uh, uh, and I think that that's where this, your creative universe starts building. You know, somewhere the story, somewhere a story that resonates with you the most will kind of, you know, spark off another thought of something which is in a similar realm, uh, you know, and then you kind of start coming out with permutations and combinations of a seed thought. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so I, I don't think there's a, I don't think that uh, there is uh, any kind of formula. I think ideas come from ideas. So, yeah.
0: Right. So do you have to motivate yourself intrinsically if, if the project is not creative, be
1: challenging uh, I think fortunately I've never been part of a project project that's not creatively challenging uh, you know I don't think that uh, uh, there's always something uh, to kind of attain you know and uh, like even if you look at a, a project that say since we are talking about hamshackles for example uh, writing comedy is very difficult. Uh, and and it's you know and when you're you're selling like a madcap idea like the one that was over there it actually sometimes end up being more work you know uh, it's very easy for people to write it off and say oh the writers were sleeping uh, mm. but uh, no something had to go and get shot right I mean we had to kind of write an entire film out and it was never an easy job and it's always it's always challenging see writing is not an easy job. It is a very difficult job uh, and I don't understand why people do it. But uh, uh, the thing is that, uh, uh, you know, it is a very challenging job. And I think that's what's kind of,
0: you know, finding a solution to a problem is really, I think, what keeps you motivated. So,
1: you
0: know. and then wrapping up the whole conversation around films and uh, movies. So uh, one of your most famous acting uh, portrayals is in Ye Mary family as Hershu's father. So did you have to make a mental model switch to be an actor? Uh, okay, so the thing is,
1: I, I, I'm not a very happy actor. I don't enjoy it at all. Uh, and uh, uh, that's why I don't do too much of it. Uh, most of the acting that I've done is either because friends have insisted or because I've got to travel abroad. Uh, so uh, my motivations are very clear in, in, in that sense. And it's not even the money. Like, I mean, I keep getting ad film offers. And, you know, I, I just, I'm too lazy to do that. Uh, Sameer Saksana, who directed uh, uh, Yemili Family, is a very good friend. He also uh, produced Tripling and both seasons of Tripling. And then even I landed up casting him in my film, Karwa uh, to, you know, take revenge. Uh, but, uh, uh, so he was very keen that I do Ye Family and uh, I was very skeptical, uh, quite honestly, because, I mean, it's a, you know, it's a, it's, it's set in Jaipur again, of course. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, I was a very urban kid always. And I didn't have, you know, the nuances that were needed. Uh, for something like that to be relatable. Uh, So I was very skeptical. But uh, Samir was very confident that he could kind of make all of that work, uh, you know. And uh, to his credit, he did. I mean, quite honestly, like, uh, a lot of people eventually got in touch with me saying that they felt like I reminded them of their father from Jaipur at that time in the, you know, uh, a lot of small towns. Uh, also resonated with the portrayal of the character. And honestly, I can take no credit for that because mm-hmm. I, I, I actually did no homework on that. It was all, I was basically following orders over there uh, and doing exactly what the writer and director were telling me to do. So, so the thing is, because I'm not a regular actor, uh, you know, uh, I'm very conscious because I have worked with actors uh, that when I am acting, my director switch has to be off it can't be on. It's not me <laughs> directing. It is somebody else's vision that I have to help tell. So, I mean, uh, it's, it's important for, and I think it helps that I'm a director because, you know, in an ideal state, you would like your actor to kind of work with you, you know. And uh, I think that that's the least respect you can give to a director that you'd agree to
2: work with. I'm absolutely surprised by, by your comments on this because I totally fell in love with your character. And I mean, like you, mentioned, uh, like you know,
1: as did as did everyone. I mean, it was very yeah. surprising. I used to, I, I get happy Father's Day messages. And, and, and uh, uh, you know, and, and a lot of people uh, get very emotional about it. And and quite yeah. honestly, like I, and, I mean, I don't even know if I should be saying these things, but I can't ride a scooter. Okay. I can't do that. I, you know, I <laughs> couldn't right. bloody park the damn thing. Uh, right. uh, and, and they were patiently helping me through everything. Like, you right. know, like right. a simple right. thing about going in, you know, how you kind of, uh, you know, wet a terrace. Uh, you know, with the mug, and I was just not getting it right because I mean, yeah. it's not something I do, like, you know, it was not. But uh, Samir uh, and, and, and Saurabh Khanna, the writer, they very patiently kind of led me through everything. And they, right. in fact, even fed me the little nuances that, you know, this is how a uh, middle class father from uh, a, a second, you know, like a, a, a second tier kind of city right. would behave right. in this situation. So the warmth and the personality, uh, I can take some credit for. Uh, in right. terms of you know, but but everything else that was being done, whether it's uh, parking a scooter or tying a mattress, uh, were all things that uh, you know I was perhaps not well versed with, and I was following orders. So, yeah. so it was great that uh, the director's vision, uh, you know, resonated with people in such a such a way, and it's a lovely show. It's a lovely show, yeah, without a
0: doubt. It's quite a special show. So yeah. Uh, you we know, want to shift focus to know more about Akash as a person. Uh, so what do you do to unwind? Uh, I am uh, I read
1: a lot. Uh, that's something that uh, I've, I've always done. And in fact, in the middle, I kind of uh, let go of it a little bit. Uh, I think uh, when uh, OTD platforms came in, I think the, the most easy thing to do to unwind was to do some binge watching. Uh, and, okay. and, and it felt like the most comfortable thing to do, right? But the thing is, uh, I do... I, I uh, And I think this was Uh, when I was shooting in Jaipur actually when I was shooting in Jaipur I kind of made it very conscious that uh, like when I come back from shoot instead of you know winding up my day with uh, you know watching something on my iPad from Netflix or you know whatever uh, I uh, I should kind of you know uh, read it and uh, I'm a massive foodie so uh, food is my go to uh, uh,
0: downtime yeah so (laughs) So, shows and it
1: shows, yeah,
0: so. yeah. So, how do you recall? I mean, what do you read, and then do you do you read with the intention of adapting it or something? No, I
1: don't. I don't read with the intention of adapting ever. Uh, you know, very surprisingly, and and this is something uh, that I have noticed about myself. I never watch a movie like a technician. Uh, you know, the thing is, I have so many friends in the industry, and you know, who will watch a movie with such a um, such a critical eye? you know, right. or, or a director's eye, you know. Uh, I feel like you can't enjoy a film like that. Uh, I feel like the first viewing of a film should always be just a viewing as an audience. Uh, then if I like it enough or I hate it enough and I want to watch it again and I want to tear it apart, uh, okay. you know, and, and do that, then that's a different ball game altogether. Ha, if some, like, some, you know, and you're suddenly like, okay, wow, there's something in the story that, you know, I, that stayed with me and then I want to kind of, you know, Maybe say it at some point of time, or you know, then you kind of but that's that's uh, it's never the intention, it's never the intention to pick up something. I, in fact, I never read or watch anything with the intention of uh,
0: adapting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, what happens when I mean, there's something where you put a lot of effort into, but it does not turn out the way you intend to? I mean, it failed completely.
1: Um, I mean, that's life, right? Uh, uh, it's uh, There's always going to be um, something that could have been done differently. And uh, uh, it really depends on, you know, like, the thing is, I, I, what I feel is that, um, and this is something that perhaps uh, took a little time for me to uh, understand. Uh, I do think that to survive in any kind of industry that uh rides on uh, viewership or rides on any kind of, you know, audiences. Uh, that kind of industry is always going to be open to lots of feedback and criticism, right? It's always going to be open to more opinions than, you know, if you were a doctor and were doing a surgery. I mean, very few people, except the people that you, you know, operated on will have an opinion about, uh, you know, how it went, but when you're yeah. creating something that is for public consumption, it's, it's, it's very open to uh, judgment and analysis. And uh, uh, I think that, uh, and by yourself as well, uh, because, you know, you're reviewing your work again and again, I think that what's very important to survive in an industry of that nature is a certain amount of detachment. Uh, the thing is that uh, otherwise it gets very difficult. otherwise everything can get very depressing. you know I think it's very important to understand that this is a project and a lot went into it. Uh, but it's not the end of the world. You know, at the end of the day it is it is one thing that you did and it perhaps failed. But if you approach things with the right intention, there will be more opportunities. You know, I think that uh, failure is, is is a very, it's a part and parcel, absolutely. It's, it, you can never keep everyone happy. Uh, you can never keep yourself happy. I mean, you might have the biggest blockbuster in the world, but it could have been personally something that you're not proud of. Uh, I think uh, you have to prioritize. And I think that it's very important to uh, be satisfied with what you did.
0: I, like how do you stay at the top of your game being a jack of all trades?
1: Honestly, uh-huh. I don't know if I stay on top of my game at all. Uh, and I think that maybe that is because I am a jack of all trades and hence, as the saying goes, I am the master of none. Uh, but uh, so i can't I can't assume that I am at top of my game. Uh, I, I I do know that there is this uh, there is this hunger to do as much as I can. There is this hunger to be as productive as I possibly can. And uh, I've got my finger in many piles at a time. Um, uh, I, I, I manage my time and my work well, uh, but I can't assume that I'm on the top of my game on all of them. I try and do uh, give my best to everything because eventually it's going to kind of you know, represent me. The good thing is I'm, uh, I enjoy what I do. I don't do it because of some sort of ambition. I'm not a very ambitious person. Uh, you know, so the thing is that I'm 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 doing what I enjoy doing. The moment it starts feeling like work, uh, I'll probably stop doing. It. Uh, the the the. Uh, so as long as it's, it's something that I'm enjoying doing, uh, my drive is there, and I think that that results in uh,
0: competent work at the very least. So yeah. mm-hmm. oh, and then you work with creative people quite a lot, so and they are the most difficult to manage. I mean, I see. What are some of your hacks to manage creative people?
1: Well, I mean, see, the thing is, uh, I don't think, uh, you know, one very important realization that happens, and I think that everyone who's kind of been in that situation is that, you know, when you're a director, for example, uh, a director's job is 50% people management. Uh, honestly, that's, that's really it. I mean, the thing is, when you're particularly when you're directing, like, say, a film or something, you know, they you're basically working with so many experts, right? Everyone is an expert in their own department. So in okay. that sense, like the technical know-how is all there. Uh, so, you know, what is your job? You're putting it together. You have an overall vision that these people are all kind of, you know, coming to contribute with. Your main job is people management. Your main job is communication. You have to make sure that your uh, what you want to achieve is being communicated to these experts. They are there because there are experts. And uh, you have to kind of, you know, trust them. And not impose upon them. Uh, you have to give them the freedom to try and interpret your vision.
0: And lastly, uh, what advice would you give to a 20-year-old Akash? Oh wow!
1: Uh, <laughs> I was 20. What was I doing when I was 20? I was just I just out of college and I started my theatre company. Uh, I'd say go with your gut, because that's really something that has worked out for 40-year-old Akash. Uh, a level that 40 year old is happy with, and I think that's what's uh, that's what's important. So, uh, don't be afraid to just trust your
2: instincts, is what I would say. Just go there, do what feels right. Lovely, <laughs> lovely. On that note, uh, let's let's move to the rapid fire question. We have a oh, bunch wow, of wow, yeah. okay, yeah. So, okay. basically, I mean, the first thing that comes to your mind, you can just throw it away. Right? Wow. So, uh, you mentioned you read a lot. What's the last book? Uh, what are, What are you currently reading?
1: I am currently reading a Japanese uh, author's book called Before the Coffee Gets Cold. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. I've just started it. I just finished a Stephen King novel, and I've just started
2: uh, this. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, and what what are you what are you binging on right now? What's the latest show you're watching?
1: Uh, I have just finished uh, three series, uh, three seasons of a show called The Leftovers. Uh, on uh, HBO, uh, HBO production uh, based on a novel okay. again uh, by Tom Perota. Uh, so I'm watching The Leftovers and uh, my brother has written the dialogues for a show called Avrod uh, okay. which is about the Uri attacks. So right, uh, right. we're watching that.
2: This so, is on Sony Live?
1: This is on Sony Live, yes. yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, if you have to choose between and pick one between uh, Ye Meri Family or Karwan,
1: Wow. Uh, man, those are two totally different job roles. Uh, very difficult uh, choice, uh, but karma. So,
2: All right. got it. And your pick between writing, directing, and acting? Directing. Directing. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. And mainstream uh, films versus web series? It
0: doesn't matter. Or, or, or theaters, for example. Or th-
2: yeah, or theater.
1: Doesn't matter. I think uh, uh, any platform that allows you to tell your stories is great. It doesn't matter. I have no preferences. I'm happy to tell a story wherever I get a place. and I want to actually say them in all places. So I don't want to let right. go of anything. Right. Very greedy that way. So yeah. <laughs> right. All
2: right. One one last question. Uh, Ritik Roshan or Irfan Khan?
1: Irfan Khan. Irfan. Uh, I think they both came into my lives at very different stages of my life. Um, and I think that the stage of my life that Irfan Sir came into uh, was a very relevant stage of my life. And uh, uh, hence, uh, and not only because of his absence, but I think that the, uh, the impact of the personality was much stronger. Uh, you know, when I was interacting with uh, uh, with Ritik Roshan, uh, you know, for the seven years that I was in uh, Filmcraft, his father's company, uh, I was I was very young and kind of finding my bearings, and you know, I was I was overawed by everything, and I was still trying to find my feet uh, in that right. sense. So I don't think that the, the that uh, like a, a very strong equation could get built in that because you know that it was a it was a it was a phase of struggle in that sense for me. Uh, I could have a far more one-on-one relationship uh, with Advancer, And uh, it's in light of recent events, of course, that was very precious. So, yeah.
0: Um, so I think that's the end of our conversation. Oh, lovely. And, and thank you so much for your time. And I, I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did.
1: Yeah, it was fun, man. It was quite nice and like free-flowing. And yeah, it was good.